In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Orange is lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Death and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hey everyone. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 518. Maybe a woo? I think it's probably worth a woo. Yeah. <laughs> woo worthy. Woo worthy, yeah. Tonight will be our spoiler filled discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The long gestating, long awaited. Interesting the, to analyze movie. <laughs> the long-awaited finale of a trilogy? Question mark. Yeah. Like maybe this is a place to start because I, I think I was going into this movie just sort of expecting it to be the final Guardians movie, but I don't think I ever read or heard anything about it being the final Guardians movie, and it kind of ends in a way where they could do whatever they want or leave it alone. So like, like was there any scuttlebutt of, of going into this of like, yeah, this is uh obviously this is James Gunn's exit, but was this movie ever talked about as being like the end of the guardians of the galaxy? I think it pretty much was understood that barring anything unforeseen, while this won't be the last we'll probably see of the Guardians of the Galaxy, that this will probably be the last movie of the Guardians of the Galaxy. That I think that was I think that was the mindset going in, that it wasn't just clearly it was James Gunn's finale, but I don't but I think it was and if you look at the landscape of what Marvel, you know, arguably not successfully, but Marvel what what how they've been trying to approach phase four and phase five, that while they have had sequels and again to varying degrees of success <laughs> uh that they seem to really be investing in either new characters or characters that haven't had as much screen time and as many movies so it makes i think it makes sense in a way that and maybe depending how this movie's box office eventually pans out then maybe it it does justify or it, it's like a ex- period at the end of the sentence that probably that might be the right call that as far as set, spinning them off into their own adventures, that it probably was the right time to to ride off into the sunset. But. Yeah, because like the worst thing you can do is keep doing it over and over again until people get tired of it. So if you can, if you have the option to go out on anything resembling a high note, you should probably take it, especially if you've already had a couple of pretty successful outings. Yeah, I would I would I would say I would say so. And then because because even when you 
even when you are on a high note, as we saw with Thor, it doesn't take much for you to go back and land with a thud in the next in the, in the next one. Yeah, but I mean, let, let's be real. Thor didn't have that far to fall. No, but Ragnar. But I think, generally speaking, probably more people liked Ragnarok than the than the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that if you're looking, which is why would another thing we could look at to start off with Guardians is because it's now completed the trilogy, and because the general view on this movie is positive, that it automatically now because it's a trilogy and it's completed now it's the now you're up for debate like where it falls into the. I hesitate to say Pantheon because that makes it sound like it's good. And it's really a mixed bag of Marvel trilogies of sub, of the sub franchises that have gotten, gotten three movies because now you have Iron Man, which is not a particularly proud track record other than the first movie. You have Thor, which again, even leaving no. out, even, even leaving out Love and Thunder, it's still pretty much is one good movie, one okay movie and Dark World. So that gets, so that's not anything that. That's not a high bar to clear. Ant-Man was doing fine before Quantumania, but that kind of like, that's going to... Ant-Man was one movie away from being like one of the best Marvel trilogies. Yes, I agree with you. I think if if they had, if that movie had not, if they hadn't foobarred that movie, but that because they did though, that just kind of completely, that's that's just ruined, that leaves such a sour taste. So that's the bad part of their trilogies. And then you have the good parts, which are the spider, which is the Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy, Captain America. And then you have Guardians. <laughs> well, you got I mean, the we got the same problem here because the Spider-Man stuff like that first one is a fantastic Spider-Man movie. That third one I really liked in the theater, but I haven't revisited it. So I don't know how much it relies on the like the awe of all three of them being together. That middle one. Like Jake Gyllenhaal was pretty cool, but the story was terrible. Like that, like that was, like like that. Uh, I don't even remember. It was a Far From Home. Was that yes. the, the, the that was yeah Far far, home. far From Home was closer to a Thor movie than the other Spider Man movies mm. in terms of quality. <laughs> I don't know. I think there were parts in it that didn't work, but I still think the overall body of work and I think it's still. I think I still think it's in the. I definitely, I think it's still in the top three, which is why I separated the trilogies. I, I mean, I think Captain America still wins. I mean, I think Captain oh, yeah, America no. wins, but <laughs> Guardians is probably if Guardians was in the is if it's not number two, my, my point was going to be it was in the running with Spider Man for number two because people, a lot of people don't like Guardians too. It's grown on me because I watched it a thousand times when it was on Netflix and used to fall asleep to it a lot, so I've, I've warmed up to it. And I don't love the first movie like a lot of people do. In fact, I haven't seen the first movie since the double feature when the second one came out. But even when I, I watched the double feature, I knew that the second one was far inferior to the first. I so. have to rewatch those first two Guardians movies because, like, I have it's been such a roller coaster for me with with this franchise because both Guardians one and two, I loved them when I saw them in the theater, and you know, rewatched them a few times, still really enjoyed them. And then a few years later, just like look back on them and watch them again. And I was like, wow, I don't think any of this is funny anymore. And for the, I think the last time we talked about Marvel, like, or any of these, this stuff, I kind of, I mentioned how like I'd really soured on the sense of humor that all these movies have. And but now I think like I might just be 
thinking of like the homogenized MCU humor more so than the James Gunnified humor that's in the Guardians movies. Because I I do think that first one holds up a lot better than I was giving it credit for in recent years. I don't know about the second one. The second one I remember, I th- my biggest memory of the second movie is Drax being too mean to Mantis and <laughs> and uh, everybody liking Kurt Russell. But like that's all I remember. And Pac Man was in it, and like that's all I remember <laughs> about that movie. So maybe I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a case that that this could be. Well, I mean, I mean, I think almost by default this has to be one of the strongest trilogies, just because. The MCU has so few trilogies, and most of them have at least one terrible movie out of the three. Yeah, I would say this. There, there isn't a bad. Again, like I said, I don't. I never loved the first movie the way most people did, but objectively speaking, you can't really say there's a bad Guardians movie. So because of that, you are correct. I think, like I said, I mean, Iron Man gets left out because. Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 are usually long before we got into the Eternals and the quantum manias of the world. And there was no phase four or five. Those two Iron Man movies were almost always in the bottom when people were listing MCU movies along with Dark World. And I think the Incredible Hulk gets a bad rap, but the Incredible Hulk is usually thrown into that mix, too. But but the fact is you have one good Iron Man movie and you probably have one good Thor movie. And uh, and like you said, Ant. Ant-Man was rolling rolling along real nicely, and then you had this one that completely like drove it into a ditch, and that's going to be really hard if they ever wanted. I don't know. I don't think they'll ever. They may very well never make another Ant-Man movie, and I don't know if they were going to even if this one had worked. But the odds of them doing it now because this one because that is your poster child for whatnot. That Ant-Man did so much damage, even though it's not all Ant-Man's fault because we were trending in that direction anyway. But it almost was like the exclamation point on a on. on where the MCU was headed. It was like a poster child for disaster because it, it made like all its money in the first four days and then bear and it made like 120, 120 million in its first four days and then didn't make a hundred million dollars combined and the rest of its th- domestic theatrical run. That's how bad it was. Well, uh, I mean, Ant-Man is a good case, a good case study to prove that like it's not enough to have a, a popular brand. You actually have to make a good quality product too. Because like those like when Ant Man first came out in the movie, like when the first Ant Man movie came out, nobody knew who the hell Ant Man was. But the movie still was a success because it was a it was a really good movie, and everybody is still talks about how good that first movie is. So everybody wanted to see the second movie. That second movie was pretty good too. And like like it it's yes like it's at a point where going to the third one. Tickets were sold just based on the fact that, hey, Ant-Man is a thing we know and we know we like it. But that's not enough. It's that the name recognition came from the quality of the prior installments. And it was also the hype behind how important this was to phase five. So that so while I could have also put unfair expectations on it, it also it, there was there. I don't think there were unfair expectations because, again, the first two were good. And this had the added bonus of, hey, they're finally getting giving Ant-Man. Something important, but we, but but we better steer this back towards Guardians, or we're gonna get yelled at. I may have to do a timestamp on this just just to call this an intro. 
Oh, it's fine. It's we fine. started. Uh, we started out talking about the Guardians. No, we did, but and it, it, it makes sense that we're gonna we are gonna veer because the, there's lots of it because of the interconnected nature of what's going on with Marvel. Even though, ironically, Guardians by itself is an isolated property in their movies, the reality is because it it can't. And when we get to the box office and we talk about it, it's kind of hard to say that you know it, it's complete. It's it's insulated and isolated from what's going on around it because seemingly the way it opened would ins- would indicate that's that's not the case now with guardians so, 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 something we usually don't do when we do these movies i figure we probably should actually give a basic plot synopsis because we almost never do that we just <laughs> which, which is which is okay because most people know you know most people just i think listen to us and want to hear our thoughts on the movie but not that the plot is overly deep i mean we Pretty much the whole movie involves the Guardians trying to find the a key that they need to help Rocket because Rocket has been was when he was genetically designed by the High Evolutionary that it's like a failsafe that nobody can really you can't use like their little fixo meta meta patches that they put on that can fix any wound won't work with Rocket because he's got a, like a a lock key on on his mechanical parts and what they did to him so they have to get this. They have to get the key to open that, so then the med patch will work and they cure him because he got yeah rock, mortally- rockets rockets machine parts in his body are proprietary technology, yep. so they have to go jailbreak their raccoon in order to <laughs> in order to heal him from his injuries that are going to kill him within a few hours. Yeah, about two days or whatever, and because he gets attacked by Adam Warlock, and we'll talk about let me write that we'll talk about Adam Warlock. That he's pretty much on the payroll of the high evolutionary because we, if we didn't know this already, the sovereign was actually were created by the high evolutionary. So they're pretty much puppets anyway of the high evolutionary because he wants yeah. Rocket back. Yeah, they're the gold people from the second movie. Yes, with Aisha and everybody else who we see in the beginning of the movie. But it's a nice callback with those battery eating creatures in the movie too. That was kind of a nice callback. Oh, this every every single person. Except for maybe the Nova Corps, like every single person that has been in a Guardians movie ha- was in this movie, even though it was just in a crowd shot. Yeah, that is true. I mean, we get I, I thought it was a nice touch that, yeah, you have the guy that 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 uh, Quill was talking to in uh, the pawn shop I, guy. Yeah, the pawn shop guy right before he basically ran it when he basically by luck of the draw when he was about to meet Rocket and Groot and I think uh, Gamora that yeah but they, they were all playing cards with Howard the Duck and I thought yeah that that is true there are there are a lot of callbacks there are a lot of callbacks to this and the high evolutionary wants Rocket back because he is he is the creature he is the experiment that he can't explain because basically the by hodgepodging and, and creating Rocket the way he did, Rocket was able to, on some levels, evolve intellectually beyond him to help solve the problems <laughs> that they needed and why they kept making these experiments the, involving these creatures. And they were, and they just were so violent and they couldn't figure out how to stop it. But Rocket somehow, intellectually, because of what they did to him, was able to figure out the missing component that they needed. Which is a and, big, which is a big deal because all of his other creations, you know, despite how smart they are, they only really know how to perfectly memorize existing knowledge, whereas right. Rocket is the only one who was able to innovate and create something new out of nothing. Because ultimately, the high evolutionary, much like his name, he wants to take creatures and evolve them to a, to a, their ideal state. And in the beginning, all he's really doing is kind of like he's kind of like uh, General Grievousing things. 
by slicing people together, by slicing animals and things together and with mechanical parts and, and, and operating on their brain and trying to increase their intelligence and things and give them speech and things like that. But he can. But there's a me- missing piece of that puzzle. And Rocket, it's it's a double whammy. It Rocket un- helped them figure it out, but he needs to understand how Rocket was able to evolve essentially on his own, even beyond him. And it's like a, it's like an obsession with him. So he needs Rocket back, so he can just basically kill him and take his brain. But that's that's the real plot. And you get Rocket's backstory as he's pretty much in a in a coma or a coma like state. So you get a lot of the flashbacks of how Rocket became who he was. And then you have the Guardians trying to rescue Rocket and the showdown with the High Evolutionary and the team do and the team being put in their separate boxes at the end, which which is which we will which we can talk about, too, because it's they give every I think related to that. I think it was really disappointing that especially because James Gunn kind of pulled pulled a J.J. Abrams on this, that he basically told us Guardians were going to die and then nobody died. I thought that was a cop out. Oh, did he say they were going to yeah, die? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I don't think it even was an illusion. I think, I think he, I think he out and out said that not all the team was making it out alive, and everybody made it out alive. I mean, Rocket did go to heaven for a minute. Yeah, but, but he didn't. Yeah, but he didn't. You think about it. To me, coming into this movie, there were three. There were there were three, and I didn't count. Cra- I guess Kragun only because he's Sean Gunn, and because you know James Gunn was leaving, you could have killed him off, but it wouldn't have had much of it. Wouldn't have had a huge impact if you did. I thought there were three that were very likely. Obviously, Rocket was the most likely, if mostly because Rocket was the only one that hadn't died yet, period. <laughs> he was the only true guardian. Obviously, Nebula didn't get snapped away either, but she wasn't, you know, but the original. She was, he was the only original guardian that didn't die in some capacity yet. So that made him number one. Plus, you knew it was, you knew it was his story, this movie. Then there was Drax, because Drax is mostly useless anyway. And you knew Batista wasn't going to come. He said he wasn't coming back to play Drax again anyway. And I thought Gamora could have, as more with Nebula, this is like a 3A and 3B. Gamora, because of the fact that it would be would have been cool if she would have become attached to the team enough to be willing to make a sacrifice for the team, which also would have been a nice bookend to the fact that our Gamora was forced to make a sacrifice she didn't want to. But this Gamora would be a, make a willing sacrifice for for her family quote-unquote yeah but but that would be it would been super shitty to to double kill gamora two movies in a row like that's that sucks they could have but obviously nebula was the one that most like was the one that you could have made a strong case because she had the best arc pretty much of everybody that nebula sacrificing herself (laughs) like going down with the high evolutionary ship if she had done that that was the only way to keep the the ship functional enough to get everybody off the ship onto nowhere that would have made sense too. I'm glad they yeah. didn't because I really yeah. like Nebula. But I mean, I I think I didn't hear any of this stuff before. But the fact that I went into this movie assuming it was the final one made me more nervous for their safety because, like, okay, this is the if this is the last Guardians movie, then you know who you know you could close the book on some characters like this, like. Especially in the middle, when Drac when uh, Drax gets shot by Nathan Fillion's giant gun a couple of times, I'm like, oh shit, are they? Is this is is this the end of Drax? But like, at the end of the day, like I I don't like I am surprised that no one di- that uh, no main cast members died, 
But at the same time, I don't really think they needed to, because like, like the the story they were telling didn't really require it. So I'm like, I'm glad they didn't do it just as as like a shocking moment to close out the trilogy or whatever. The way they did end it, like, instead gave closure to a lot of like a lot of plot lines that had been running through all of these characters appearances up to this point. And I think that was more satisfying than like the big heroic sacrifice. Oh, I agree. I, the only, the only thing that bothered me about it is because of the fact that guns pretty much told everybody it was going to happen, which is in a way it's worse. It's worse than the Abrams thing with Khan because you can make a case if he was, if he had told people, Con, yeah, Cumberbatch is Khan. It might've actually brought people into the theater. This but by not doing it, you, you may have kept people away. This could be used as this could be could have been viewed as a marketing strategy to get people to go see the movie because you're anticipating the stakes being higher than they really were. So that's that's my I just I just think so that's the only thing that bothered me about bothered me about it. I don't I, I think it's fine that they kept them all alive, even though it is odd, because if you really now, of course, this is. You could be reading between the lines here because a lot of people say, oh, I'm not coming back to play this character or that character. And the reality is, yeah, if their career takes a downturn in three or four years, you bet your ass. If they offer if somebody offers them to come back, it's like Daisy Ridley playing Ray. She wasn't going to play Ray anymore. No, now she's going to play Ray again. Theoretically, if that movie ever happens. I hope it happens. But she's great at it. But it's this. But it's the same thing. It's like. A lot of people say they're not going to play. It's like Dave, but uh, it's easy for Dave Batista to say he's not going to, that he's not going to come back. But if his career is, is not where he th- hopes it, it's going to be in three or four years and somebody wants to, you know, especially let's say if the James Gunn thing in DC doesn't work out that down the road, uh, and he's come, or he comes back and he does another Guardians movie or wants to. Yeah. You can, you can pretty much take it, take it to the bank. Um, well, how early did James Gunn say that? Because it's possible that there was a version of the script that, did have a couple character deaths, but no, I don't. I mean, it. I forget. I would have to go back and look. But you have, again, speaking of the script, you have to remember, which is why it's interesting, because this movie, I've, clearly, this movie feels like a phase two, phase three movie. It's like, well, it should, because he wrote it in phase three. <laughs> the script is five years old. I'm not saying there wasn't anything that he did to it after, but remember, the script was in, the script was finalized and approved before he got fired. Oh, God, this is that movie. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Because Marvel made the big point of saying after they fired James Gunn that they were still going to use the script. God, this this was written before he did the Suicide Squad, wasn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. This movie, in in all honesty, this movie was when you go back, this movie was being written during the time that Infinity War was being made because of the fact that I forget. I don't know if they ever told us officially when the script was 100% 100% approved and greenlit and that's it that that's the draft but we know it was before he got fired before comic-con and the odds are he was working on it or must have the latest he would have been turning it in would have been right around the time infinity war was released but either way he had been working on it before infinity war came out and so that's why there were some things in this movie that you know he some things there were things in this movie or could have been in this movie, there would have been a problem where he would have had to work around. Like, like he didn't know, as an example, that Endgame was going to end with the Guardians and Thor being buddied up. That would have been a problem. Luckily, Taika Waititi kind of took one for the team there, probably, to resolve that situation. But that, but that's not the way he wrote the script because he never knew Thor and the Guardians were going to be paired up. So that's an example. And I, and I, and I, now 
this steers me into one thing I wanted to ask you about, because this bothered me a lot when I wa- I've seen this movie twice, but it bothered me a lot when I watched it the first time. What? Why do you think James Gunn in this movie, he convolutes the Gamora situation so much when Gamora, what actually happened is so straightforward. Our Gamora is dead. This is the 2014 Gamora brought into 2023. So it's not like that Gamora one. It's not like Gamora died and she came back. No, that's not true. It's not like this Gamora doesn't remember what happened. No, these things never happened to her. But constantly in in this movie, in volume three, they're referencing it, making it sound like she died. She came back. Oh, she didn't know. That's no, she didn't. She didn't die. She just doesn't remember. And it's like, I don't I I didn't quite understand. I mean, I have my theories on it, but I never understood. But it it bothered me because it seemed like it was overcomplicating overcomplicating it and i have some ideas but i'm curious to why you thought he took a straightforward situation and wrote it that way which is probably going to confuse some people in the audience who thought they understood things and they did and now that makes them second guessing it (laughs) yeah i don't know like i'm part of me wants to say it was just peter quill being an idiot because like i think almost all of that came from him and a big thing that he had to show to struggle with throughout the the movie is kind of coping with the fact that you know he, he can't just get back the relationship he had with Gamora because this Gamora did not have any of those experiences and doesn't feel the same way and and like by the end of the movie he gets to a place where he finally like understands that but i think like Because, like, when we first see him in this movie, he's, like, he's apparently made a habit out of day drinking to the point that he passes out and has to get carried home to his bed because of how much he misses Gamora. So, the I think the act of just being in the room with her, like, all he wants is to have things be the way they were, and... And I don't even know if he ha- if he knows how to process why they are, they can't. You know, if that makes any sense. No, I mean it. I mean, yes, it makes sense. I. It kind of gets rubber stamped a little bit by Nebula, though. Some of the things that he's saying, and I don't know. I guess to me, probably the real explanation for why James Gunn did it was because it, it's kind of like again, it it is talking about how. In a way, it's 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 easier to believe a, con- a convenient lie th- than a hard truth, <laughs> mm-hmm. and just dealing with the gre- again following, especially if you look at this movie because we we never we nobody's ever confirmed that when this movie would have come out if James Gunn hadn't got fa- got canned. I kind of suspect that this wasn't going to be the first movie in Phase Four. It probably would have been early on in Phase Four. I still think it would have. Pro- it may very well have had the Black Widow spot if James Gunn had never been pushed out the door. This may have been the May 2020 scheduled release, because it would have made sense to follow up the end of phase three with a big, probably the, the most recognizable movie in phase four that you knew people would be super interested in. But it might just be, again, dealing with, with grief and processing and how, you know, but the thought did cross my mind a little bit that there's a, the, this would still have to be an element of it. Cause I would ask James Gunn this, like if we interviewed James Gunn, this would, I would ask about this question because I also thought about maybe when he originally wrote the script, they never told him exactly how Gamora was coming back. They just told him, oh, don't worry, you'll have Gamora back. So you don't worry about not being able to use Gamora. You can still write the movie with having Gamora in it. 
And then kind of so he he and he and he knew she was obviously was dying in Infinity War. So he knew that when he when he was writing this movie. But maybe they never exactly told him how specifically they were bringing him. So maybe there was a possibility at one point that he really thought that it was going to be the same Gamora brought back. But she was not because somehow her memory was going to be wiped out. Now, I think he would have changed that. He probably would have revised the script to take care of that alone. Unless he thought the other elements, like you said, dealing with grief and this is Peter's way of trying to process. And he said, you know what? It still works. Let me leave it in. I was going to say, maybe there's also an attempt to try and make his Guardians run feel more like a self-contained trilogy without reaching outside to the Infinity War crossover to explain this like key moment. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think I I could see that. I could see that, too. But the whole idea of maybe, you know, maybe they didn't give him the whole, the whole, you know, maybe the, or maybe it wasn't even not necessarily just keeping it secret, the keeping it in-house, because obviously James Gunn, if you listen to James Gunn, he, you know, he kind of was a like a whether it was paid or unpaid, he was like a consultant on a lot of on a lot of scripts that Kevin Feige had is that, hey, read the script. And what do you think? What do you think of the Spider-Man script? What do you think of this? So it's not like they would, of all people, they would try to keep stuff away from James Gunn. But maybe they just, it maybe it just wasn't 100% worked out what they were going to do with, with Gamora. Or maybe they just, or maybe it wasn't important enough when he was writing the script. All he needed to know was, yeah, we're killing Gamora off, but don't worry. She's coming. She's going to be back. Now, I don't necessarily think that's the main reason that it, th- those questions are there. But I would, I just have to be honest that when I watched it last week, last Thursday, again, when I got home, I was thinking, you know, that at least is a possibility that some of that could have been in the fact that there wasn't 100% set in stone or they didn't tell him specifically, this is how she's coming back. It just struck me as it only struck, like I said, it only struck me as odd just because it's like, it takes a straightforward situation because it really is easy to understand what happened with Gamora and just makes it really, really much more complicated potentially for the audience. I mean, Peter, yeah, you know, Peter's trying to cope. I mean, there's also the possibility that we take for granted how straightforward it is, because like I I saw this with my dad and I I told him, like, okay, look, the one thing you have to know going in is that Gamora died. And then the. The version of her from the past time traveled to the present and she doesn't know any of these people except for her sister. So she didn't experience any of the stuff from the last two movies. And his response was like, oh, that's conf- that's weird and confusing. Like, like, I know it's OK, though. <laughs> so like, it's like, I don't know, maybe like maybe it's maybe it's an attempt to streamline it. Maybe it's it's all weird and confusing regardless. Maybe it, it just comes down to the fact that. That, you know, even looking back on the whole Infinity Stone info dump in the first movie, the Guardians famously don't care much about the details. And the details were being explained to the audience in this movie by a a drunk idiot having an, an emotional episode. So I I don't know. I think they could have written that differently, but I don't know. It's. It is what it is. It doesn't bother me too, too much. Yeah, because it's including what you just said. You made me think of something else on that. It's because he even talks about, I don't know, blame it on some Infinity Stone magic. And it's like the Infinity Stones have nothing to do with why that Gamora is there. <laughs> they really but, don't. She's only but, there. 
She's only but, there because you know, of the because of the pin particles, really, because that's how Thanos traveled it into 2023 in Endgame. Yeah, she but at didn't... the same time, do you think do you think Peter Star Lord Quill understands any of it? <laughs> well, you know, if Nebula was if Nebula wasn't on the team, then I would then I would I would give Peter a lot more of a pass for being so kind of ignorant about how things played out because Gamora knows, excuse me, Nebula knows exactly what happened because, because that Nebula was captured. She's the reason why, you know, the 2014 Thanos and company were able to get into the future. So she knows, she knows exactly what's going on. And she knows that this is the 2014 version of Gamora because she's the one who kills the 2014 version of herself as a Nebula. So he's the one who kills her own, you know, kills herself. So that's the part that, like I said, there ha- there has to be, you know, there has to be a reason for it. I don't necessarily, I just, I think it's, I just think it, it was something that took me out of, the, when it was happening, it took me out of the movie because to me, it's like, well, okay, it's not that complicated, but you're making yeah. it more, but you're making it more complicated, which will, and I don't understand the point of that. That's neither, that's neither here nor there. Uh, as we're going to switch gears in a second, we never really did this I assume your general thoughts on this movie are positive. Uh, for the most part, I think there's some stuff about it I'm still processing. Like I think the real elephant in the room with this movie is is all of the the animal abuse that's yes. core that's like that's like wrapped up in the emotional core of the whole thing. And I don't know. I'm I'm of two minds about it because on the like uh, my my opinion on like touchy subjects like this are if you have you like if you're making a movie and you have something important to say about the topic then okay but if you don't then it should not be in your movie period and with guardians 3 you can't really tell a story that goes deep into into rocket's traumatic past without depicting in some way animal abuse so i do think like the story that they wanted to tell did need it at this but on the other hand i'm left wondering well did we actually need a story that goes into rocket's past like this because the bits and pieces of it we got in guardians one with him changing in prison and his like his like drunken like emotional outbursts after they break out that kind of gave me everything I needed to know about it. I agree on my on my list of cons with this movie. The animal cruelty is the first thing. Now I will say, I do think watching it a second time, and once you kind of once you know that it's there, it doesn't it didn't bother me as much. I was able to deal with it a little bit better, but I do think that's a bit. I do think that's a problem, and you and that could be part of why. Some people didn't necessarily run out to see this movie because if you're susceptible to that, if you're touch, if it's a touchy subject, understandably for you, or if you have kids or some or don't have to be a kid. If there's somebody else who, you know, who you go to the movies with that has an issue with that, that's probably something in a way. Maybe that is a good example of why you might want to wait to Disney Plus because then you can forward past that stuff. Especially, especially since it's all throughout the entire yes. thing. Yeah, it is. And it, and. Because there, are, I mean, in a way, when, when in a way you think what they even like the what you see of Rocket when they first throw him back into his cell, you know, and his cage, you know, when when they first 
that that's that's horrible enough but the stuff even the stuff the high evolutionary is doing you know when he's when he's trying to figure out how to get these how to get these beings to the level that he wants them to be at that the reality is that it's still you still think that that's like the peak but 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 it's not i mean there's there's stuff not you, know, you don't have to be slicing and dicing creatures open for there to be cruelty in this movie towards animals and so it's yeah it it's it's tough i mean i think i think they could have dialed it down a little bit just like i think the movie could have been a little shorter i will admit again watching it the second time the length of the movie didn't it seemed to flow a little bit better i think they do get bogged down when they go into the living the living uh whatever the hell that is oh the 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 flesh yeah the flesh the flesh built the flesh uh space station thing where uh, the high evolutionary which where they try to get the the key for rocket which is also more or less otherwise known as this is where james gunn throws all his uh friends and family cameos in uh during that stage this is the nathan fillion planet yeah it was funny though, because when I watched it the first time, it's like when they're dealing with the with the chick like in in the records room or whatever, and it's like I'm recognizing her, and it's like with the with the with the red face or whatever, and it's yeah. like it's like I know she looks familiar, and I know I'm supposed to know who she is, and then then it was like after the movie, it's like oh she's Ratcatcher too from the Suicide Squad. That's, that's oh that's cool. Yeah, that's and she's cute, and she was cute, and and she was cute in the first and that, but even with the makeup on. But I was like, I know, I know her, and it's like, and I know I should know her because I had already heard about that. Oh, this this is the this is the part of the movie where James Gunn keeps throwing in all like family members, and and you know that's where that's where his wife is, you know, his wife is in the movie and things like that. So, <laughs> I mean, I like this better than George Lucas putting in sync in like one of those prequels. You know, I like I'm I don't care like. I think they did like, get cut out though, to be fair. <laughs> all right. I think they were, yeah, I think they were supposed to be part of the battle in Geonosis. I think they probably were some of the Jedi there. I don't think they made it into the movie. All but, I know is when Nathan Fillion showed up and was like giving them the runaround, my dad leaned over and said, That's Guy's castle. I'm like, Yep, yep, he is. <laughs> see, at least, see, at least that wasn't lost, right? At least there's a, at least there's a cameo that, uh, that that resonated. So I I I think that that is like the three thousand pound elephant in the room, the uh the animal cruelty in this movie. And I think <laughs> yeah, that's cause, something. Good. Cause yeah, because like I think the the whole point they were trying to get at with it is to show like how escaping his abuser informed the importance of the bonds that Rocket made once he got away. And like all we see all of this stuff that all the bad stuff that happened to him as he tried to claw his way to freedom in the past. Meanwhile, all of his friends in the present are trying their damnedest to break into that same facility to get him to like to save his life this time. And it's and I and I feel like I heard something about like James Gunn wanting to also like like push like a message about like about animal cruelty or something with this movie but like I don't I don't know it feel it feels like a destination that could have been arrived at so many other ways that this was a really specific and weird choice yeah i mean i do think 
like I said, I do think it plays better when you see it the second time. It, it's less, and I don't think it just has to do with being desensitized to it. I think it, I think it's just a little. I think it works a little better. I think a lot of the tone and the pacing of the movie works a little better the second time around. I think not that I had a major problem the first time with it, but again, I noticed that again, const- a, a fairly common complaint for me these days is like, oh, this movie probably can be te- you know ten or fifteen minutes shorter. They really could have cut some stuff out. I didn't get that sense the second time. The second time, along with tonally, but with the violence, uh, the animal cruelty and abuse. I mean, because it isn't just cruelty. I mean, you can make a case that, and some people have pointed this out. They'll compare to what's going on with Rocket. It, it's nothing that just the way Craglin treats Cosmo throughout the movie is technically animal abuse. It's just not physical abuse. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I don't know. It's it's weird because like that's I don't even know how to say it. Like. Like Cosmo is frame is so very much framed as being Craglin's equal that it feels like two friends bickering more than anything else. Yeah, I I would agree with you. It didn't it didn't bother me like like that. I just know that I rem- <laughs> I know people had talked about it before I went to see it, so I thought there was going to be a little bit more meat on that bone, but there wasn't. Which, so which by the way. They they uh greatly improved the clarity of Cosmo's voice because I when we watched that holiday special, like I had to rewind. I'm like, wait, what did the dog say? I don't I that there was too much like distortion on it. And this time his or Cosmo's voice was so much clearer. Yeah, Cosmo's Cosmo's a pretty cool, pretty cool character. Oh, yeah, I think. The, the the thing that this movie does have going for it, which is a big plus, is that not they actually have a villain that's a villain, and it's not a completely non redeemable villain, which is kind of a refreshing take in general in movies, but let alone in the MCU. It's like nice. It's nice having a villain that you don't have to say, well, you know, he's kind of he kind of has a point. <laughs> at the at the same time, like I I th- I feel like he had like a really good like maniacal performance that felt kind of wasted on a on a generic like well then i will be god kind of motivation you know yeah i mean there was there is an element of mustache twirling in this like, uh like even if it was as simple as like as like like he had some experience when he was younger that made him want to fix living things so they wouldn't die so easy or something like that like like maybe he saw like maybe he 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 and his parents grew up on some kind of nature preserve and his parents were scientists and he thought it was cool and he loved them he loved all the animals but then they got all got sick and died except for him and he's like well I'll make sure that never happens again like like nothing to redeem him but something to like to push that snowball down the hill you know yeah i i i i can see that i think it it surprised me what a, in a way the thing about this movie which makes it which is a big plus is like arguably maybe for the first time Peter really seems like he's a a, a good leader on this team because <laughs> he because he actually does think about some things ahead of time not everything but he but but even the way he handles the high evolutionary and getting getting the weapons like into the build into the ship or the building yeah. they think it's a building but it's the ship that you know just the way he you know. The high evolutionary putting that finger up to tell him to basically wait your wait your turn and don't say anything and then he it's like well I'm, the way he goes to the guy who he really needs to get information to, to get that who's holding the key in his head 
you know, who's got the digital key that he needs, the algorithm, that he's not just doing that on purpose because, oh, this is the guy ultimately we need to get. But he knows that by doing that, he's likely to get the reaction that he does get out of the high evolutionary. It's like, oh, you have time for me now? <laughs> that, yeah, or I, like how or how we when uh in the prior building, in the flesh building, how he tricks uh uh the rat, rat catcher rat lady catcher too, yes. <laughs> into, gi- into giving him access to the com- to the control system for all the the guard suits by just like saying like no i have to i have to open up my heart and appeal to them yes. and he's like i'm not that stupid i just need yes. to turn all their stuff <laughs> off yeah, yeah. I, and th- i think a lot of it it's it's like because they're still bumbling goofballs but at this point in their journey They've been together for so long and they've been doing this enough times that there is there's a degree of familiarity with each other and with the work that even if they are bumbling goofballs, they know how to bumble in the right direction and get where they need to go. It's competence through familiarity, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that is a that's a a good way of a good way of describing it. I think that, um, and I do think even what, even though they're, you know, they do bicker a lot, which is funny because I heard somebody complain. I heard some complaints about that. And it's, oh, everybody's yelling at each other. And I find it amusing, not because it's not true, but I remember com- people using the same complaint about Guardians too. It's like, oh, it's like Gamora is always yelling at somebody. And, Nebula, and it's like, so I, it's just the way they interact. I mean, but yeah. I do, but they're friends. Of course they're going to yell they're at fa- each other. And they're family. So of course they're, they're going to be, at each other's throats quite often yeah that you yell you yell at your friends and when they're family you yell harder <laughs> but i do think you get you do get a you do get a lot of teamwork and you see how they do operate how they do operate well together and i do like the nebula peter relationship just the fact that moving beyond any you know hints of the flirtation aspect of what could theoretically could could develop between them just the fact that like little things like when peter says oh she called me Star Lord. She only do, she only does that when she's angry. <laughs> yeah, which of course you know, Mantis has to make some comment like she's always angry, but we know that's really not the case. Plus, it, we know what Peter's point is because we have we have examples of of Nebula calling him Peter. <laughs> yeah. So well. I am so surprised and impressed that they didn't magically put Gamora back to the way she was before her death in this movie like it ended on the note of him of her saying to peter like i'm i'm still not the person you want me to be and him saying back to her like i know but who you are right now is pretty good too and then she went back to her new team which is her surrogate family now right and that was that was a surprisingly mature way to end that plot line yeah, I, I think putting everybody, I mean, you can make a case where they put everybody, all those pieces does not necessarily make a lot of sense. I mean, Rocket taking over the team now that Peter's gone, that made sense. You know, obviously Groot sticking around made sense. Everybody that stuck around for the most part, I mean, without Adam Warlock. Adam, let's be honest, Adam Warlock, it seems like Adam Warlock is only in this movie because he was a post credit scene in the second one and James Gunn felt there had to be payoff for it. I can't believe they put Adam Warlock in the MCU after the Infinity Saga was over. <laughs> yeah, and we know, and plus this, 
this Adam Warlock is so different. Uh, it's just he may have he may in theory have at some of or maybe most of Adam Warlock's powers or will, but he's just so he's just not. It has nothing to do with Will Poulter. It just has to do that he doesn't have much to do in this movie. He's literally not in the movie for long. It's just basically to get. It's almost like he's only in the movie just so Groot can can say that line about everybody deserves a second chance, and that makes to make him reevaluate his life. But which is also easier because his quote unquote mother is dead and he has no place to go. So it's. I mean, he guessed he could go back to the Sovereign, but the only the only the only personal connection he has is gone, and. Other than having like an epiphany that maybe like he misjudged the situation and why why he was doing what he was doing anyway for the high evolutionary. I mean, he has a dog now. Yeah, he has that 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 ravager dog thing. That is that that is that is true. One, let's see something else I wanted to. I do think the movie works on the emotional level. I mean, I I teared up several times. I don't I don't remember if I teared up the second time. I'm I don't. I think I, it's possible that I still could have. I know I did the first time in a few spots. So that was effective considering I, I wouldn't exactly say I have a lot of emotional investment in the Guardians of the Galaxy as individuals. Mm. So it, I think that uh, that is good writing and that is good. So I think that I think that was a plus. Well, let's go to you. What, what is, is there something in particular that we haven't? talked about in specifically or glossed over but you want to go into more detail about before i segue us into a into a box office topic uh you know something that i felt was missing from this movie that was much stronger in the first two is the soundtrack was much less pronounced and i think well i think it's two things the first thing is like there weren't as many scenes like that were constructed with with the soundtrack in mind like like we got in the first movie but also the fact that that I think it was a very big mistake for him to get that zune in Guardians 2 because just like the the cuz like now they've got like songs from like the the 90s the 2000s all this stuff and that kind of variety takes away from the personality that the first movie had because it was just what was on that first awesome mix volume one, which was all I, I don't even I'm blanking on the time period. It was all like 80s music. Yeah, I and think like, they've, they've been moving into different decades, I think 80s, 90s and 2000s. Yeah, but like. Like when you think about like all of like the best scenes in that first movie, all of them were like were like built around the the soundtrack almost. And it was like it was like a a living, breathing character in the movie. And this one was just uh throw in some early two thousands music because that's like the audience will recognize that and and you know just put in whatever like it felt it felt help like the soundtrack choices felt more half-hearted and phoned in and that's disappointing because it is such a big part of the franchise i'm glad you mentioned that actually because that was something i did think about during the day but i did not write that down as something to as something to zero in on but i think I think you're correct. I think the sound, I think the soundtrack for this movie, generally speaking, is less impactful and 
maybe a little disappointing. I don't think it, it's not as me- as memorable as the soundtracks from either of the first two movies. So that is one thing about this movie that I do think is weaker. Like I don't even remember any of the sound the the music drops in this movie, except for the one from the trailer, or or the one from the mid credit scene where it's just Rocket playing yes. that one song from the first movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is that is true. I oh, oh, speaking of that, like it's it's weird to think to say almost, but like I think my favorite scene in the movie is the mid credit scene. Where it's it's just it's Rocket and Groot and a whole new team of Guardians all wearing their their uniforms, which thank God they have the uniforms in the movies now. <laughs> and they're just they're sitting around talking about their favorite music, waiting for the horde of stampeding monsters they were hired to get rid of get starts to, to show up. And it's just like this really cool moment that shows us that, like, you know what? Whether we see it or not, the Guardians are still there. They have they have changed. The roster is different. But, you know, this vibe and this group and all their adventures are going to continue. And, hey, here's a little taste of what we may or may not get to see someday. Like, there's so much there's so much of what I think of as the guardians of the galaxy in that scene and so much potential for a possible future outing that I don't know. I, I just, I saw this movie two days ago and whenever I think about the movie, I think about rocket and Craglin and Cosmo and Adam Warlock and whoever that, little girl is supposed to be like i know she's one of the kids they save i don't know if she's like a a comic character yeah she is and 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 groot who i thought was a rock but he was just groot hunched over and he he grew a little bit and looks more like his original comic version now uh but yeah that scene surprisingly stuck with me who is that kid oh i think i'm i'm trying to remember in the comics, I think in theory that was like Captain Marvel's, as in I think the male version, uh, his daughter, I think. Phyla? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty uh, sure. Um, I can't believe fucking Phyla Vell got in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure that's who, who she was, who she's supposed to be. Now, obviously, we have no way of knowing <clears throat> whether that that character would have the same background at all. Probably not. But the point is. That yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. I mean, I think she was a clone, but so maybe that yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we can circle back to any something else that pops in when we talk about this. But I did want to talk about the box office, obviously, on this movie. That you can't, we can't really reach a conclusion about whether this movie is going to be really successful or whether it's going to be. I'm trying to phrase it the best way. We know it's not going to be a Quantumania-like debacle. We don't know if it's still going to be a real hit or whether it's just going to be moderately successful. It had a subpar opening. It opened to 118, which was still in the range it was supposed to open in, 110 to 120. Hey, it was the first movie to knock uh, Super Mario Mario Brothers out of the number one slot. I know that much. Yeah, that is true. But 
this was a movie that had been trending downward for a couple of months in the tracking, which is why some people tried to spin this into making it sound like it it beat it beat expectations. And that's only because some places decided when they when they had to pick a number where we thought this movie was going to open, they decided to go like around the one twelve ish number, I think, just because they figured the tracking that downward trend was going to continue as opposed to finally stopping. Uh Box Office Pro almost hit it right on the head that they had 115 and heading into Monday morning of a, of its opening weekend, it was tracking to do 114. And it's only because it held better on Sunday than the, than the formulas tell you a movie's supposed to do. It actually held better than than your regular formulas uh, and your regular box office performance of movies. That that's the reason why it ended up doing $4 million more and you got to the 118. But this was still a movie that had like at one point, probably two months ago, one hundred and fifty million dollars was the ceiling. And then it dropped to one thirty five and then it dropped to like one twenty five. So the reality is it can't be spun that this movie exceeded expectations, especially when Guardians 2 made one hundred and forty six. Now, that being said, that's the that's the negative. The positive, it had an amazing hold in weekend two. It it held it didn't drop. It held fifty three percent. and it's, which I I looked at today, which does if it continues it'll it'll mean something. It it, may, it depends what happens on the weekend. And we're recording this on the 17th, so the Monday and Tuesday of this week, those are the first two days so far that Guardians Three has made more money than Guardians Two. You know, in an apples to apples comparison, like second Monday to second Monday, second Tuesday to second Tuesday, that this is these are the first two days that it actually had. Now it's, it hasn't beaten it by much, like half half a million dollars a day. But the point is, this movie is like was so far behind its predecessor after that opening weekend, and it's still, it's still. I'm trying to get the number in my head just without looking at. I can look at it, which would be easier. I'm trying to think if we're in if we're in the four. I think we're in the forties. I think we're in. I think we're. It's like forty million dollars. I think behind as we speak. Guardians two. So the reality is, is it going to catch it domestically? Probably not. It's It'd be really hard to catch it just because even if it holds again this weekend, the same percentage, which for some reason Box Office Pro is predicting it well, which is funny because it felt like they predicted the 53% hold last week and it's opening against Fast and Furious. So I, I have my doubts whether this movie can hold another 53%. But even if it does, that's still th- like 32.6 million and Guardians 2 in its third weekend did 34. So it still would be losing in a direct apples to apples comparison. But well, if some, go ahead. Didn't Fast and Furious j- recently change from being like the final movie to the final, like the first part of a two part finale or something like that? So it's like, been, it's been the first part of at least a two part finale for a while. Now Vin Diesel's talking about maybe it's going to be the first part of a three part finale, which is stupid to keep doing that. Okay. Cause but, like it, me- it feels like to me, like the final Fast and Furious movie should theory- theoretically do better than like the two leading up to it just because people will be like, oh shit, the- it's ending. I want to see how it ends, even if they aren't like totally up to date on the franchise. Yeah, I agree with you. The fact that you keep extending the end makes it makes it less popular. Thirty three million. It is a thirty three million dollar difference as we speak between Guardians two 
in Guardians 3. So it's going to be difficult for this movie to to really catch it because, again, even if it holds 53% next week, it still would technically make less money than Guardians did in the same three did. Guardians 3 would make less money than 2 in the same weekend. And I, and I don't know if it can hold that much against Fast and Furious. The week Memorial Day, it should do fine because The Little Mermaid is not going to be directly taking m- m- people out of Guardians. No. So it it's it technically, if it could do that, if it could hold another fifty something percent this week, then it might be. Then maybe it could make some headway in the final in Memorial Day weekend before the Spider Verse movie comes out. And then you're going to have the Flash and all these things come out in June. But I think. I think, in all honesty, with this movie, if you can end up somewhere around that original $28 million you opened up behind your the last one, if you could stay in that number, that still would be pretty impressive considering that, yes, this movie should have opened stronger. And you can't help but think the overall weakness in the MCU has had an impact on that opening. Yes, people might be guardianed out. There may be other reasons. Some people might be pissed at James Gunn for this or pissed at James Gunn for that. It just... It might be a combination of all these things, but it's kind of hard to deny that, especially after the way Quantumania performed, that Guardians, no one would have bet this movie would have opened up as low as it did if you had said a few years ago, what do you, Guardians 3, what do you, how, how do you think it's going to open up? And let's say there's no pandemic even, that you don't have to worry about there being a downward turn before it comes back. No one in the world would say that this movie was going to make like $28 million less. Than, than the one that came before it. So you have to think there's an impact. So if you end up somehow holding that line, and that's more or less, you just keep that deficit that you had from the from week one, which really would mean that you're gaining ground over time, I think you have to take it. I, I think no matter what, we don't know if this mo- how what, what this movie is going to be. I think what it does prove probably is that, yes, something influenced a lack of interest in going to see this movie in weekend one. And you can also say using a great quote, you know, the cliche, the rumors of the demise of the, or the death of the MCU has been greatly exaggerated because it's not complete free fall. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this movie can hang on for a while longer just because guardians guardians is popular enough with casual audiences that do not follow any of this stuff that, you know, the next time there's a weekend or a day off from work, like more people will probably go and go to see it just because they liked that first one and maybe that second one. Like, I don't know. I can see it chugging along for a couple more weeks or something like that. Yeah, I um, think so too. I think no matter what, it's going it's going to do okay. It certainly has erased the fears that Quantum Mania was what the status quo was going to be. That from this point on, you can't even you can't count on having really big openings, even though the, the irony, of course, is Quantumania for its individual franchise had a great opening. It just nobody liked it and it, and it couldn't hold. But this oh, yeah, movie is the, it's saying like a stone immediately. Yeah. I mean, putting it put again, putting it in perspective, if you look at if you go back and you look at the actual dailies for Ant-Man, that's 70 percent drop that they ended up having in the second weekend. You could you could almost see see it coming because by its first Wednesday and first Thursday, first full Thursday, that it was down to less than $4 million a day. This movie, Guardians 3 and its first Wednesday and first technical Thursday, since it's opening Thursday, gets wrapped into Friday, was making 7.1. In fact, a little cute little tidbit, which means nothing to anyone other than me because I looked, 
The first Thursday to first Thursday comparison between Guardians 2 and Guardians 3 made almost the same exact money, except Guardians 2 made like $100 more. <laughs> but they both made 7.1 and change. So, oh my God, $100 more. That means one extra person bought popcorn that day. <laughs> yeah, but if you adjust for inflation, it probably would be like $1,000 more. <laughs> All right, two popcorns. But, but I think I think this proves that the MCU isn't dead, but it obviously it but it can't say it's healthy either. And I also don't think this has the negative is I don't think even if this movie continues to hold really, really well, like a puss in boots the last wish kind of movie where it's dropping such an incredibly small amount every single week and stays in the top ten for like, you know, twelve weeks. The reality is I don't think you can count on that having any kind of effect on the Marvels. <laughs> I mean, it, I I mean, I think like again, like we touched on it before, but like it all comes down to the lesson that was taught by the Ant-Man franchise, which is brand awareness and brand popularity will only get you so far. You have to back it up with a quality product or it's all worthless. Like that's all that's all there is to it. Yeah, you're right. And 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 another and another another saying a cliche I thought of today related to this. It's it's this is kind of like the movie version of the baseball cliche that momentum is only as good as the next day starting pitching. And for movies in the MCU right now, momentum is only as good as the next movie you release. And if people like it and people flock to it, then you're in good shape. But because Guardians itself is so self-contained that this is more of a referendum on the quality of this movie by itself and the fact that people were actually invested, even if they were a little nervous about where the MCU was overall, they were invested enough in seeing the conclusion, quote unquote, of the story in these characters. I think it has no effect on their interest in the Marvels. And I don't think, and I don't know if it, it, it lets Marvel take a deep breath. It stops the bleeding and it makes them feel a little that at least they know we're not in complete utter freefall. Because if this movie had tanked, then then you'd be in deep, deep, deep trouble. If the worst scenario happened where this movie basically opened up around a hundred million dollars, it had the same kind of rotten tomato scores that Quantum Mania did, it had good but not great audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes, had a horrible cinema score, which this movie ended up having a really good cinema score. But if this movie had a horrible one, like Ant-Man did, and it dropped like a stone in the second week, then you'd have a serious problem making anybody think that the MCU wasn't hanging on by a thread. And then having the Marvels warming up in the bullpen. But yeah, the trailer looks great, but we know most people don't care about that project. You have to convince people to go see that movie. There's not, It's not like this movie and it's not like Ant-Man. You didn't have to convince people to go see Ant-Man conceptually. It's only when every, everybody started hearing how bad that movie was, that started keeping people away. But the interest in that project inherently was there. I think there were only three projects people were really invested in. This Ant-Man, which didn't work. Guardians, which looks like it's going to succeed enough. And probably right now it's Deadpool just because of, the top, because of Wolverine. Everything else, it's like you don't really know how it's going to work. How is a Captain America movie really going to work without Steve Rogers? Is the Thunderbolts going to work? Even though it sounds cool, is that going to work? Are we ever going to get a Blade movie? Because you might be willing to bet that we're not. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I always come back to the back to the fact that all of their most popular franchises 
showed up out like right out the gate as some weird thing nobody heard of before but they were really good so they took off and that's how we even got an MCU in the first place so you know like like just like how how bad word of mouth justified bad word of mouth sank quantumania if so if I don't even know what else is coming out soon. If the Marvels or whatever's after the Marvels comes out and surprises everybody with how good it is, and it had and it has like a pretty good opening weekend, and then Holy like shit. does better the next weekend or whatever. Like I don't know how this stuff works, but like I'm in a place where I've I believe that quality will will lift all of this back up. Regardless, like almost regardless of what the project is, just because like who the hell knew or cared about the Guardians of the Galaxy until they put out a, a really good Guardians of the Galaxy movie, you know? No, this that's absolutely true. It's, we just know that right now Marvel's in a different spot because Marvel has and maybe this is ultimately a good thing for them that Marvel has to prove it. People are not going to give the benefit of the doubt phase has moved on. Not just yes. with the audience, but also with the critics. So I think it's probably a good thing, whether it was complacency or just arrogance or a combination of multiple factors. I think they really thought that they could pretty much throw anything out there. We can throw anything against the wall; it's going to stick. People are going to go see it no matter what. The, we're going to get we're going to get good critic scores no matter what we do. And that little illusion, which should have, I mean, again, it's 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 arrogant to, to really if anybody really believed that no matter who you are, how high on top you are. Everybody falls because we're, nobody's invincible. Nobody's perfect. So this was it was almost inevitable this would happen. But in a way, because they've done they dodged bullets with Guardians being the best example. Guardians had had tank written, had disaster written all over because nobody, even comic book fans didn't give a shit about Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's not like they were the original team anyway. But that worked. And then Ant-Man, who is a well-known character for comic book readers, but it is a B-tier character at best. And you're not even using, again, the original Ant-Man is the main character, but that worked. So after a while, you think you can make, you know, lemonade out of lemons all the time. And I think they, they found out with the Eternals that you can't. And I don't know what the hell went wrong with, with Ant-Man. I really don't know why that movie turned into such a cluster. That is, and I forget if I said this when I, in my, in, when I reviewed this with, with Jim, but if I didn't, that was literally the only more of a movie, including the Eternals that I've ever sat in like halfway through the movie and going, I can't wait for this movie to end. <laughs> it's like, I just really am looking forward to this movie ending so I can leave the theater. And I've never felt that about an MCU movie. Yeah. They, they started out like the MCU started out by taking a lot of risky chances on a lot of unknowns and giving it their all. And it paid off. And then they got real big and they started to turn the filmmaking process into more of an assembly line. And a lot of what was great about the first phase, just there wasn't the time or freedom to put into it anymore. And now they're and they're paying for it. Like so like so much like the movie that was Guardians One could not be made in the current in the current state of Marvel and Disney because it like that movie does not adhere to any of the core values that are pushing projects out the door. And hopefully like, 
Like, I don't, I'm never going to root for someone to fail, but hopefully enough of these, enough of these like failed projects or underperforming projects will finally like smack some sense into these people so that they actually, they stop, they stop just trying to standardize so much stuff and they give the creative people enough time and resources to be creative and make the kinds of movies that made people give a crap about the MCU in the first place. You even look at what they're doing with, with Disney plus right now. I mean, we know we have a release date for Loki and then they just, and then they bother to tell us, Hey, you're going to get echo, but we're dropping every episode at once. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. Huh? Do you think that's just them experimenting with like the Netflix model or do they, huh? I think it means I think it means one or two things or it means a combination of them both. It means number one, either they know it's a turd and they figured let's get it out of the way, one, two, three, not have it lingering, kind of like a Boba Fett situation. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's it comes, it goes, and people will figure out about it in like a week and a half and we move on. Or they may not necessarily think it's a turd. They may not have confidence in it. But they don't think it's a turd, but they know as they're from a pacing perspective, this is not gonna work building an audience week after week after week which we which we've seen before at marvel shows because remember they knew this with wandavision which is why they dropped the two slowest episodes the first day because they knew if they kind of released the first episode it was slow and the second episode it was slow you might run the risk of turning people off and people saying no we're not going to watch it so it could be one of two things they either they think it's they really think and they know it's garbage or they they may be one way or the other. They either think that it's good or they're somewhere in between. The, the quality may not be the factor, but the pacing, that they think the pacing is a problem. And if this is not going to build an audience like a, a good weekly episodic streaming show can, they don't think this will do that. So you might as well dump it all at once and that will increase the odds people will watch it if they're going to watch it because all the episodes are there. And it's like, well... I didn't like the first episode, but the second one's there. It's like, eh. Do we know how many episodes it is? That's a good question. I was thinking that today. Let me let me see if I can find that out. I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot of. Because Farmy thinks like if it's really short, then they may might just like see the benefit of using like the weekly slot for something else. I'm thinking it's I'm thinking it might be like six, but I have no idea because I don't remember if they told us. Let's see. See, it will be released on its entirety on November 29th. Six. Six. Is it six? Yes. Yeah. So I am suspecting, I am suspecting that it is, hopefully there won't be, a, I can only hope they're not hour long episodes too. That would be another plus if they weren't. They probably will be. But yeah, I, I can only suspect that it's what it's like I said, it's one of the two or a combination. I don't think they're experimenting because the, the Netflix model is stupid. Netflix can't figure it out, but almost, I mean, it is. I mean, you can have the best show in the world and you have a rare thing like friggin' like Squid Game or whatever, where people will talk about it for a month. But even the shows people like, like Cobra Kai, you get like, you get like about a month out of it. When if you release the episodes episodically, you're going to get like three months of people talking about it. People were talking about Boba Fett for like two, two months plus because it released weekly. Now, it was crappy. I mean, it was not good, good talk. But the point is, it was in people's consciousness. It sucks because, like, I've seen over in the anime side of things, I've seen this, like, how I've seen how both sides of it can be can, like, really affect things. Because, like, 
the show, I don't know if you're familiar with the show JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but it has been around for like five seasons and they all aired weekly episodes. And then season six came along and Netflix, they didn't even drop all of it in one day. They dropped like the first 10 episodes in one day and then two months later the next 10 episodes in one day and i think there might have been a third time but like like if you looked at like online chatter about that show for five straight seasons people were talking about it constantly and getting super into it and then as soon as season six started there was no talk almost no talk no hype no nothing because it, of just like the awkward as hell way it was delivered and it really killed the momentum of that entire series. And I can definitely, definitely see that. I, but when I understand as an audience member, it's like when those, and we've talked about this on the show, it's like the stupidest quiz to ever ask. It's like, Hey, would you, with, with the same equal force, would you like to be kicked in the nuts once or 15 times? I think once. Uh, it's like, why it's, with Netflix asking their users, would you prefer episodes to be dropped all at once or or, epi- or weekly or episodically? It's like, of course, as a, as a viewer, of course we want all the episodes dropped at once because it gives us the control. But it's not it doesn't make it an, an any better marketing decision. I mean, your shows being dropped, shows like The Sopranos and Game of Thrones would never have been as popular as they were if all their episodes for a season were dropped at once. A show like Peacemaker, which became pretty popular, would never have gotten off the ground if all the episodes dropped at once because nobody really wanted to see that show. It was word of mouth that made people go and check it out because it's like, hey, this show is actually pretty good. You should check it out. It's yeah, harder to you, do. And you don't get word of mouth if everybody can just watch it all in one day and then immediately move on to the next right. thing. That's the other thing. It's like there's, there's that it's always especially on Netflix. There's always something else. Doesn't matter how much you want to watch it. Or it catches your eyes like, hey, that sounds interesting. Add it to the queue. If you don't watch it in the first week, what are the odds you're even going to remember it once the next thing comes along? That's the problem with the, too much content and, and especially series dropping everything at once. There's no the anticipation. It's you may anticipate the release of something you care about, but it's instant gratification once you watch it and, and it's over with. I'm not saying there's nothing cool about actually sitting down from a viewer perspective and binge watching. There is. I mean, I've done that with shows that I, I like. But, the, you know, but the reality is it doesn't make it any more of a successful business model. I mean, I watch I'll watch all the episodes of Cobra Kai within like the first you know day that day that it's released. But the reality is and then it's over. And then it, literally this time, because there won't be another season after this one. But even if there was now, you got to wait at least <laughs> at least nine, ten months or longer to get another whopping ten episodes that will all come out at once. That's the other problem with having short seasons too. ten episodes. You know, it's like it makes it much it makes it a little it's a shorter wait when you think about it. If you have 10 episodes that are coming out once a week, then it lessens the amount of time you have to wait from the time the last episode drops before the next season starts. And if you drop them all on the same day, it's like, oh, yeah, now I got to wait another 12 to 15 months for another maybe 10 episodes. (laughs) I don't know. I I am a big fan of of, hey, let let the season be however many episodes they need to tell the story. And let each episode be as long as that chapter of the story needs to be. Like, I grew I grew up in the age where, like, oh hey, hey, uh, oh you want to get you know Transformers, the original Transformers on DVD? Okay, uh, is is that box set all season one? 
Oh, no, that's season one, part one. Oh, how many episodes are in part one? Twenty two. Like what? Wow. How that's this seems a little a little excessive. This seems like somebody was just out of control. <laughs> yeah, I I I don't have an issue with it, with varying lengths of episodes and things like that. So, I mean, the Mandalorian pushes it sometimes with having super, super short episodes. And I mean, I I do think there should be a general range. I mean, I don't, I don't think you should have massive fluctuation. I don't think a show, I don't think it's good to have a show that, Hey, like Boba Fett was kind of like that. I think that you, you, that I don't think you can, you, you should be able to go from like having anywhere between like a 38 or 41 minute episode to like an hour and 15. I mean, I think I, I tend to think that not counting the season finale that you should at least have some kind of uniformity. Uh, or, or if you're not, it should be where the first few episodes are shorter. And then as you get on into the season, they get longer. Go on. I, but I, I do tend to agree with your point. I mean, some stories, some episodes, but the problem is that the episodes are too short. It makes it seem like, well, you probably could have combined two just to make one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking at it from like a pure efficiency standpoint, then sure. But like, like at that point, it becomes a question of like, well, would the narratives of these two episodes really have fit together? Would there have been an actual storytelling benefit to merging them with each other or do they work better as individual pieces? Right. But I mean, like think, thinking about what you're talking about of like. Of like the perils of binging a whole season at once, like imagine if instead of of uh, watching these movies as they come out you just binge all of the mcu phase four or something in one day like you got a stack of blu-rays just watch them all back to back and then went to try and talk about it with somebody and you can't like you can barely even separate it you all you can kind of do is have like a higher level discussion about the entire phase because all of it is kind of inseparable in your mind at that point and that's kind of the problem with with the uh the after the fact conversations about binged shows because like the the interesting conversations you would have had about specific points in in specific episodes become so much harder to zero in on because everybody is trying to process all of it at the same time yeah but we'll see. Maybe Echo will be surprisingly good. But again, that's a show no one's really crying for. So that, that that's that's going to be a that's where again you have you you have to raise the bar very high now for something like that because people are not really. It's easier when you know there's a built-in audience for it. Yeah. For anything at, and for so we'll see. At, at the same time, I'm I'm more hopeful generally speaking about the Disney Plus TV shows than I am the movies. Just because they're more often than not, they like the shows are where they are taking some creative swings. Yes. Whether whether or not it works out, that is up for debate. But the fact is that they're they're actually trying it. They're like the 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 creative ingenuity and the risk taking that helped define the MCU in the first place is still happening on TV. And, you know. For every quantum mania, remember they still made Werewolf by Night. <laughs> that is true. That they have done okay with their they have done more than okay with their specials so far. So at least that's a that is something to that is something to keep in mind. 
That should be like there should be a pull quote on like the Blu-ray box of Quantum Mania that just says it's just an ellipses and then just watch Werewolf by Night. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else about Guardians that we didn't talk about that you want to? Oh, probably. But I, I don't know. I think we're good. Yeah, I agree. So as I as I segue over to you to to promote your channel, happy anniversary, by the way. Thank you. It, I've you know Mosaic Comics is my my uh, mostly Green Lantern centric comic book YouTube channel where I do analytical video essays about the stuff I love the most and and as of right now has been a f- exactly three years since I started doing it and. I'm shocked that I still love it as much as I do, and I'm not going to slow down. The only reason I'm going to slow, I would slow down, is if the projects I'm working on are too large and take longer to make. But uh, you know, if if you like Green Lantern and general comic conversations like these, then go on over to Mosaic Comics on YouTube, and you know there is there are literal years of videos waiting for you while I uh, work on the next batch. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely put high quality, entertaining. People should always go check out Dan's stuff if you haven't yet. And if obviously if you have been, you know what I'm, what I'm saying is true now for us here, (laughs) lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. I said it again, and I wasn't trying to. Uh, Facebook, Facebook, and, 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 any face something. <laughs> we're, we're there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to t- leave us a text or a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mark. Good night, everybody. Yes, good night.